I say I'm April and you say I'm Andrea. Or um, yeah, you, you like. can introduce me and I'll just say hi and okay. be done talking for the rest of the night. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, just for the rest of the night. That's it. That's all you get. You're listening to AA Smug, a podcast for creative writers. Hi, welcome to another episode of AA Smug. I'm April and this is Andrea. Hello. <laughs> Today we're going to give our ruling on some popular writing rules. Should be very ruly. We're going to talk How about unruly. <laughs> we're going to try not to be too unruly about the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about which ones we like, which ones we don't like. Um, maybe we're somewhere in between with them, or maybe we even disagree with each other on some of them. So that should be very interesting. We hope. But first, I'll give our word of the week as we do in each episode. So our word of the week is recherche. Recherche means rare, exotic, or obscure. Recherche. It's fun to... Recherche is fun to share. Recherche. (laughs) You don't share. You don't share to recherche? Oh goodness. So yes, from from we gotta get this out of our system because it's such a fun word to recherche. So we're we aren't counting yet because as we do each week we have a little contest to see who uses the word of the week the most during the episode and at the end we tally up and the loser has to send the winner a pair of socks. So we need to recherche away and then it only we only get points for using it in an actual sentence. And uh, let's see. I won last time with Impertable. Well, how Impertable of you. I think I won in Antipodes, too. So I'm beating you in March. You need to get on your recherche. I do. Okay, well. Even <laughs> recherche. Though recherche. Exotic, rare, or obscure. Yes. Okay, we'll start now. All right. It's on. So we uh, scoured the internet for writing rules, the ones that we like to break mostly, uh, Mm -hmm. gathering a list of what we feel are more controversial. Uh, For me, I think that there are just gobs and gobs of lists of rules out there. There's like seven rules every writer should be following and, and 10 absolute golden writer rules. And a lot of the time, they're just real, they, they annoy me and I'm just like, no, I'm not going to follow that rule. That's stupid. So we're just going to go over uh, some of them that we picked out that we're like, yeah, you can bend that a bit. You don't need to follow that, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So again, we don't like to organize our lists um, by priority. So this is in no special order. Uh, number one is cut out what you don't need. And generally speaking, I would actually almost agree with that. Sometimes you can have a lot of fluff in your chapters, in your scenes that you just don't need. And April and I do our fair share of cutting, especially April. <laughs> I am a little scissor happy. You get scissor happy. And it's, I have to gather our book up in all of the the little ribbons that you cut it in and I'm like no enough stop 
because I do like I can appreciate some fillers and sometimes your story does need a little vacation from from the normal main storyline. And April actually has a really she she wrote a really cool scene that would be considered a filler scene, completely useless to the story. <laughs> But I told her to keep it in because it was my favorite scene. So you you go ahead and tell us all about that. <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, I can be a little uh, scissor happy. So when I was writing my book and going over my scenes, I was like, well, I don't know. This isn't really needed. I had the scene where two characters decide to go swimming in a river just, just because. And it's it's a funny scene, but it isn't that relevant to the story. But we both liked it. You know, I always read everything to Andrea when I wrote it. So she told me I could not cut it. So I kept it in for her. And really, I do like the scene. And I think it's fine that it's there. And I don't think anybody's going to mind that it's there because it's funny. And that's where taking a break from the seriousness of a story, especially if it is a serious story, I think can come in. Um, Just stepping back. And so, well, I guess you know, cut what you don't need can maybe be taken to an extreme, like, well, do I need this? Do I need this? Do I need this? And maybe you're going to cut the soul out of your book if you take that too extreme. Which is what I accuse you of doing all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I I definitely do lean more toward uh, following this rule than Andrea does, but I also think it has exceptions. There's stuff in our book that if it were just up to me would be cut out, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's it would be better. Maybe it needs to be there because Andrea isn't too recherche, recherche in her uh, opinions about that. Other people might like to read that kind of thing is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I just had to get the first point. That's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, is, are, are you good on that one? Ready to move on? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. That's pretty self-explanatory. I think that uh, sometimes some nonsense scenes can just add to the overall value of the book, even if yeah. it even if it doesn't. It, it, the nonsense in and of itself adds value to it, so it is kind of a scene that you need. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like need is, is so subjective. Like, well, what do you really, really, really need? And I think the problem with a lot of so-called rules is that you can take them to an extreme and mess up your book, especially for new writers. Because I know earlier in, in my writing endeavors, I was that way. Impressionable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, so uh, second, which again isn't really in any order, it's just number two, we come to uh, write with the end in mind. So this kind of seems, yeah, yeah, you should, right? You should know what you're writing towards. But I don't know that that's always absolutely necessary, like to have a super solid end in place. I get it you can have a clear goal that you're heading towards and you should have some kind of goal for sure. So that your story doesn't just go in circles. So mostly, yeah, follow that. But 
I know that I have I have written where I had an idea of where I was heading, but I didn't have my exact ending in mind. But I knew overall what the story was doing. And sometimes, too, the story kind of might veer in a direction that you weren't anticipating. And you need to be open to that, I guess. So, yes and no. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? I think the key words here, too, are in keep the end in mind and not necessarily strictly written in stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have written so many stories that had a particular end and then the story morphs and takes on a form of its own and the end suddenly becomes obsolete and you have to be able to let that go because if you're like, no, I need, to, I need to keep this end exactly how it is, you might end up missing out on some better, um, some better material mm-hmm. in the process. So you have to be a lot more flexible with what you're trying to accomplish. I think the book that I'm writing right now, the sci-fi that I mention every single week, I'm hoping that people actually want to. Mm-hmm. Their their interest will be piqued and then they'll <laughs> want to read it. Um, the ending has morphed and became it's become the middle. And now I don't have an ending right now. <laughs> so so I you know, I kinda keep it in mind, but I'm writing the beginning and the kind of the middle beginning. And uh I I need to focus on that right now and just yeah, generally it will get to an end somehow and Obviously, the plot and the plot twists are going to have those outcomes in the end that I that I'm working towards. But a solid ending, I I, I don't have that. It's gone now. It's the middle. So hmm. I'd say definitely you you can have an awareness of an end, but you should also, if you have something like down pat, you need to be able to let that go. Right. So. Bottom line, I guess we agree with the rule, right with the end in mind, but also, you know, be open to the end changing if it seems like that's what's best for the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is a good character changes or a good character must change or has to change. And... It's like, okay, sure, you go through different experiences and you learn different things, but does that character as a person, who they are as a person, have to change? And I just stand by my, you know, absolute perfect number one literary hero, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He has <laughs> probably been the same since the dawn of time. He, he doesn't change. And as April pointed out, he did have experiences and such, and maybe some opinions changed, but he's just a really good character that the, the core of him does not change. And then also we have a character, Jonathan Border. Uh, he goes through a lot of stuff too, but he doesn't really change either. So I would probably challenge this rule. You don't necessarily need your, especially if it's your main character, you don't necessarily need to make them change. You, a lot of other, you can be creative with this and have other things happen and maybe follow somebody that stays true to who they are through all of this, you know? Mm-hmm. So definitely a rule that I would challenge. 
Yeah, I think that with characters like that, sometimes they don't change as much or, you know, have as big of an arc, but they, the experiences that they go through bring out the character that's already there, the person that's already there. So sometimes the reader is seeing new things in a, in a character, but they're things that were there, just that these challenges draw them to the surface. And sometimes those characters who are stable, dependable characters can be some of the best ones. I think that everybody does change a little bit uh, just from going through life. You're going to mature a little bit. You're going to be a little bit wiser or these small developments. But every story doesn't have to be this huge, you start on one end of the spectrum and end completely on the other end of the spectrum as far as a character goes. So, yeah, I think... I think I agree with you. And now you can write a story where your character completely changes and that's the theme of your story and that's a big part of it and that's fine too. Just that it doesn't always, you don't need to be sitting there constantly like, oh, uh, you know what, how can I change this person? I mean, you do want to do that, but you don't need to stress it to an extreme. Not with all stories. Right. Yeah, I... I think it would be an interesting exercise to try to take a character and make a really good story without changing the per- the person. It would mm-hmm. be probably a good challenge. Mm-hmm. But the point of the point of these rules too is, or of us trying to break these rules is to kind of free people, like we said. Um, especially new writers, they can get really bogged down by all the rules and worry about whether they're following the rules that they forget about worrying about whether they're writing a good book. Yeah. Uh, In one of my stories that is yet to be written, there are three different characters with three different character arcs. One, it goes from one extreme to the other, completely night and day change. The other has who she is as a person stays the same, but her outside opinions shift a little bit. And then there's a third character who is just the same through and through the whole entire story. Mm-hmm. So they not all characters absolutely must change. I, I just don't, I don't think that that's something that's something that you need to be following a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. If you're a good writer. Right. <laughs> and I, I just have we... to throw that out there if you're a good writer. Uh, let me just adjust my spectacles as I say that. <laughs> right. You, and, and these are things that we learn as we write. You know, along the way, early on in your writing especially, you you kind of have to make mistakes and figure this stuff out to an extent. You can do your best to follow rules, but then also try to break them, try to figure out, well, why doesn't this rule work? And then maybe when you break it, you're like, oh yeah, I see why that rule is there. So if you're going to break a rule, break it well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I may, like, like we always say our number one rule, which we were just talking about before we started the episode, like, well, the, the one rule we won't break is do what's best for the book. So if breaking one of these so-called rules 
it seems like it's what's best for the book, then try that. See if it works. And and remember, they're more like guidelines, really. Yeah, that's the, the whole point is kind of to show you that behind every solid writing rule, there could be a way for you to bend or break that rule and still write a good book. And that's just we're trying to free you guys. <laughs> you didn't even know you were bound <laughs> right? yeah we're we're your heroes <laughs> no there's there's always an exception probably with with exception there are some things that have exceptions and some things that don't and we're talking about the ones that we think do have exceptions and there's just something refreshing about that one character that never changes and is sturdy and dependable there's just something about i i'm drawn to those characters mm-hmm so that's that's all I'll say about that because I probably talk all and all long long night all night long. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on to number four then, which is never open with weather. And y- yes, you know if you're if you're like it was a bright sunny day, and I walked down the street and noticed that the clouds were just barely drifting and there was a cool breeze and you know yeah that's boring or you open with it was a recherche storm <laughs> that would be an interesting storm if it was. <laughs> see that that could be interesting um and of course like we were saying there are exceptions here maybe that storm is an important part of the story like like in twister that's something i mentioned in the movie twister you know the storm in the beginning is an important part and has weight later on in the story maybe plus the whole movie's about storms storm. yeah yeah maybe you're you're writing about a storm and that's that's what it is so obviously opening with the weather in that instance is fine um i know that some people try to use the weather to mimic the mood of their characters and yeah that can be pretty cliche uh just, oh, I was crying and it was raining. But even something like that, sometimes you are sad and it is a gloomy day and that adds to your sadness. So that's fine, too. Um, so, yeah, as long as you're not, like, doing all this boring build-up discussing, you don't have to talk about the weather. You don't have to talk about the the whole leading up and laying all of the groundwork unless it's all relevant to what's happening. Yeah, I think that this ties into our episode about writing a good beginning and gripping the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of writers, they think that opening with weather isn't going to grip the reader fast enough. Mm-hmm. And I would almost tend to agree with that. Like, you open up a book and it's like, the sun was shining in the clouds. You saw my, my beginning my bad beginning that I attempted to write and she was, you know, the grass and everything in the Gabby sway. But everything we always come down to is if you can do it well, then do it anyway. You know, don't listen to everyone else who's saying, do this, do that. If you can do it well, you can do it. And I, I think we both believe that almost you could do almost anything with your writing. If you worked hard enough at it to make it good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, we try to do, try to try, we try to try <laughs> to do the recherche in writing. And that might mm-hmm. even include opening with weather, you know? That's right. 
whatever. Mm -hmm. So open with weather if you so choose. Just but do it well. <laughs> yeah, do a good job of it. That's all of all these rules is like this is a rule. Don't follow it. Do just do it well. Break the rule and do it well. <laughs> if you break the rule and it and it looks crummy, then then don't break the rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes these rules are there for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, like number five, use the simplest words possible. No, no. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use flowery, flowery language, and it has its place. And it has, you know, nice words, flowery words. It has its place, especially in like a historical romance. But you also don't want to gum up your your reading and be like, what is that? What is that word? Veshishe? I don't understand what that mm -hmm. means. But also, you know, you can give people some variety because then they'll have to go look up what that means. Mm -hmm. That word means and then they'll have a new word and they'll be like, oh, I know what that means. So I'm kind of on, on the fence because you do want to make it easy for people to read, but you also don't want to make it seem like you're, you're, you think your readers are really stupid and don't know how to read the big words and stuff. <laughs> right. And what you said was uh, not um, use the right word, not the simplest word, mm -hmm. which you can, you can discuss that. You go ahead, <laughs> take that right away. Yeah. The, uh, Sometimes you just want to use the right word. And maybe that is a very recherche word that isn't known by a lot of people, but it fits. So maybe you could use a simpler word and convey the same general idea, but that fancier word conveys it better. So you don't have to use flowery language just for the sake of sounding smart, but I know I like to use the word that sounds best and that best conveys what I'm wanting to say. I do think that simplicity has its place, like Andrea was saying. Um, I, I really admire the book Robinson Crusoe because it was written, I think it's the 1600s, and it's known and famous for being really simple but not in a not in a dumbed down kind of way it's just reading something that old you think that you're going to encounter all of these uh recherche words <laughs> and <laughs> and you uh you you really don't in that book it's it's so concise and so well written and so potent there's there's an art behind it that's beautiful and i admire that kind of like a haiku Yes, um, which another another book I'm currently going through is um, Art of War. So that's n not meant to be. <laughs> it's not a romance by any means. <laughs> but again, it's very concise. But that's more about the, the conciseness of the book itself and the words that are used. Um, oh, so, yeah, in yeah. the translation, too. Yes, it is. Which I guess most, most haiku if, from ancient Japanese are translations as well. But hopefully somewhat faithful. So yeah, don't don't always uh, use the simplest words because sometimes simple could be boring. You want to surprise people. And I don't mind 
adding to my vocabulary when I read a book. I like to learn new things. Now, you don't want to make people feel stupid to the point where I don't understand at all what these people are talking about because they're all pretentious using these fancy words. Well, sometimes with especially romance novels and historical romance novels, specifically that genre so we're not talking about sci-fi or all sci-fi i don't think you need very much you know floofy language Mm -hmm. uh definitely not a lot of recherche words in there (laughs) but yeah just just a lot of techno babble yeah (laughs) but for especially for romance and such it's kind of like a treat you're like oh i'm gonna sit down and read this treat of a book and sometimes some of that flowery language just lends to the to the dessert that you're enjoying. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. ooh, such a treat to read. Another thing is perhaps you have a character that has a big vocabulary and that's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like um, when you and I were going through different words to use for words of the week and we found so many gems and we created a sentence for one of our characters to say. <laughs> and it was that, that Parvenu is being mawkish about her impecunious existence. And it's like, who says that? <laughs> well, that one character does. Uh, let me tell you, she probably says that those words on a daily basis. Because if anyone said it, it would be her. Mm-hmm. So I definitely do think that there would be a time for that language. Kind of especially where romance novels or those recherche kind of characters are involved or concerned. Right. Yeah. And the language we use in our books, I think, lends to the atmosphere of the book itself. So depending Mm -hmm. on what type of book I'm writing, I might change the way I'm writing and the types of words I'm using. Like you were talking about, you know, romance versus other genres, you're going to use different language. Well, you know, probably your native language, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think we've probably talked enough on that one. Mm-hmm. So um, moving on to our number six, don't include events or details that aren't important to characterization or plot. And really this one probably, um, <laughs> Andrea, you're probably a little more likely to break this one than I am um, because of me being so, you know, cut happy. But <laughs> I guess that actually that has to do with the um, cutting cutting stuff you don't need. But I think this was this was more of a don't include um, like, oh, yeah, I remember I told you something like Aunt Nancy, you know, knocked over her dish buffet one day and and broke all of her fine china and it's like what does that have to do with anything (laughs) and it's like okay well does it does have anything to do with the character who they are as a person does it does it have anything to do with the story uh no then probably get rid of it but if it's like a funny story that somebody's telling somebody else just because this person's trying to cheer that person up. Now I tell them a funny story has nothing to do with this whole book has nothing to do with their world domination that they're trying to accomplish at Mm -hmm. the moment. Uh, It's, I think it's fine. I think it's fine to keep it in. Mm -hmm. Like we said in the other, what rule number one, I think it was 
um, sometimes your readers need a tiny little break or, or a little comic relief. And that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. What you do want to stay away from is in uh, 1987, I fell off my bike and scabbed up my knee. Okay. <laughs> what is uh, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Okay, thanks. Thanks for that. That has unless unless the character just brings up random things through, you know, in conversation. So really, I mean, there's no solid rule. Maybe the character mm-hmm. does that. Maybe they bring up random- <laughs> like a funny character. I want to write someone like that. It now. does. All of these gems that we get just from talking about this, I feel like mm-hmm. we're making out like bandits. We're just like, yeah, we got all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of literary loot that we're walking away from i know i know it's not from walking away with yeah like i said that's the real reason we do this it's no not for anybody else no (laughs) ideas so are we gonna move on to number seven i think so since we had a little bit of overlap on on our two topics anyway i think we can move on to seven such an oversight we're so unprofessional (laughs) i basically talked about number six how about you do number seven okay sounds good uh use action to explain events where possible which is kind of another way of saying show don't tell um so use action to explain events where possible and yeah where it makes sense um but we need to be careful with this not to take it to an extreme because you can actually bog your writing down. Um, sometimes, especially summing something up that is relevant to the plot, but maybe not extremely important, uh, it's better to just share it either in dialogue or even explain it briefly, you know, a brief narrative or something just because maybe it's not worth a whole scene. And I know this is, this is a rule again, that when I was earlier and in my writing journey, I took this kind of to an extreme and had to go back and, and I'd be like, why do I have a whole scene for this? And for these, and, and we did that with our book too. Sometimes we're like, why did we do this scene? Oh, it was because we wanted so-and-so to visit so-and-so so that they could talk about what they're going to do in the next scene. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> we don't need that. So we'd either, a lot of times we would maybe cut those scenes down and make them, you know, give them relevance or something. Cause that's the other thing you can do. You can combine scenes. Like if you find that you do have a whole useless scene, but there's maybe one thing somebody says that you really like, okay, we'll cut that out and then move it somewhere else. Right. So you, it, yeah, go ahead. You you can and should mostly do things through action, but there are instances where you don't actually want to do that. I, I agree. I think that the show don't tell rule is a pretty decent rule, but for me personally, I, I, I had handicapped my writing because I was worried, oh no, I'm not, I'm not uh, showing enough. I'm telling too much. <clears throat> and then pretty soon, like you said, you're creating scenes to show everything. And then you have all of the, these scenes that you don't need. And it's like, well, we need a scene where they're having tea and they talk about this. No, no. Have them come over the next day to do that scene and mention, oh, we talked about this in tea yesterday. It, it cleans it up 
And it kind of goes in line with the rule of cut what you don't need. You know, you kind of, you weigh your decisions here. Do I need this? Do I need to show? Do I need to tell? Um, Which one should I do? What's going to be best for the book? What's going to read better? Do you need this scene or is it, is it useless or is it one of those scenes that you don't necessarily need, but it's kind of a welcome break or a treat? Then do it. And I'm talking about like the creating whole scenes for showing so that you don't have to tell. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just easier, like you said, to sum it all up. Like, oh, yes, um, we had tea yesterday and we mentioned going fox hunting instead of sitting in the tea room and describing the wallpaper and saying, mm, we should go fox hunting while I sip my tea. <laughs> Sometimes that's that's what's needed. So definitely... I think that it has its place, show, don't tell. But just from my personal horrific experience, (laughs) I'm just pleading with you, don't let it go to your head because then you're worried about it and then you ruin everything. You don't ruin everything. I fixed it all. Fixed. Fixed. (laughs) You can always fix it. Yep. And I think that that's, you know, we've talked about it before. Um, you can get so hung up on these rules that it can actually, like Andrea said, handicap you or cripple you and prevent you from telling your story when ultimately you should just get it on the page, just write it. And then, you know, when you go back over these things, that's when you can be a little more concerned with, did you follow the rules or did you have a good enough reason to break them? You can always fix it until it's published and your co-author says, no, it's done. Stop it. I know, I know, because I, I keep trying to fix these little things in our book, and she's like, nope, nope, it's perfect. I'm like, fine. It's fine. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. The imperfections is what makes it glorious. Haven't you ever seen a piece of art? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Uh, okay, uh, let's see. Number eight. Dialogue is the strongest form of characterization. I disagree. In fact, you know what? Those really wordy blah, blah, blah kind of characters are annoying anyway. I like the silent ones that <laughs> you get to know from what they do and not what they say. I have a love-hate relationship with dialogue, especially especially the one to do with our debate round, which we'll get to in a couple, <laughs> in a couple of rules. Uh, I definitely appreciate when a writer can say things without using dialogue, but what is, I know you have more to say on it. So what's your take? Yeah, I think that certainly not just what is said, but what is done, what a character does. And some characters might even be particularly quiet and that's part of them. You can, you can write like a whole scene just using dialogue And it works. You can convey a lot with just dialogue about the character. Um, You you learn, you know, a lot about how they speak. You learn about who they are and what they say, what comes out of their mouth. But you can also have a perfectly good scene with very little dialogue as long as stuff is happening and it's an interesting scene. Um, there, There are just so many other ways. So dialogue is the strongest form of characterization. Yes, I can see that, but I don't know. I don't know that it's strongest. It's yeah, more like 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> hey, 
I guess we agree on that one. So it's that's why it's not in our debate round. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too, you, you mentioned a whole scene with just dialogue and that actually intrigued me because I'd never, I don't think I'd ever done something like that. Mm-hmm. But, and then while you were talking, I was just kind of weighing the two. A whole scene with dialogue and a whole scene without dialogue. And you could actually, you could really, really make something magnificent out of either one. It's kind yes. of one of those challenges that you could take and really make something of it. And now I want to go write a scene with just dialogue. But then I also want to write a scene. now, And that's another thing that I was going to mention too, that why people feel to the need to say this is the strongest form of characterization Probably because they're afraid of those scenes where the characters in their head thinking too much. And it's like, oh, you yeah. need to speak this out loud instead of having them sit there thinking in their head. But I'm one of those anarchist types that's like, well, sometimes you need a character in their head. Sometimes you need them sitting there doing something, you know, some form of at least some form of action, not just lying in bed thinking because that sounds boring. Mm-hmm. But hey, if you can do it well, do it well then. But yeah, I think that that's why people are like, no, no, the strongest form of characterization is through dialogue because they're, I think they're kind of maybe a little intimidated or afraid of those scenes, but I think you can do them well. You can write a whole scene without dialogue and you can do it really well if you're good at writing. Oh, yeah. adjust the spectacles again. <laughs> yeah, I think the key is just make sure it's interesting. You know, don't... Mm-hmm. It don't it shouldn't be boring the reader shouldn't be boring at any point and you know just you can write scenes several different ways see what you like best write a scene with all dialogue write one with no dialogue and then do something in between and see what works the best for you yeah yeah, yeah. all right so uh moving on number nine is make sure something changes by the end of the story. And yeah, I think that that's pretty um, pretty solid because you, you don't want the world, the people, everything to be the same as when the story started. The, the whole point is that something happens and it changes something. But... That can also place maybe a uh, a pressure on the writer, like all these rules can, to yeah. uh, really be paranoid. You know, am I am I following the rules? And I know that you uh, mentioned that specifically, so go ahead and share your thoughts. Yeah, on I, that. I was going to say, I think this was the one that I was like, no, I don't like this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, this is fine. This is a good rule, and I'm like, no. Mm-mm. <laughs> No, because like I said, you can just be too concerned what is changing. Something needs to change by the end of this story. What is it going to be that you just lose your story? You're here to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So tell your story. And then maybe by the end of it, it's written down and maybe you reread it and you're like, oh, nothing, nothing happened. Then maybe you can you can go change it and make a change or something. But this rule is more like you don't need to be focusing on this rule Yes, changes should happen. That's what the story is. The The tale is old of time. There's a person, they want this, but something happens, this happens, and then, and then the end, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just a whole timeline of changes. But my point is, our point as 
has been the theme with this list is don't let that bog you down or get in the way. I need something to change. I need something to change. And again, this is me personally. A lot of the times the rules I just take way too seriously and then it stunts my writerly creativity because I'm too busy focusing on the rules that I'm not actually writing what I want to write and I'm not saying what I want to say. So that's yeah. more why I kept that rule on there to to contest because I was like, mm, yeah, sure, something needs to change. You need to have your, your story arc, your character arc. Fine, 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 fine. What I'm saying is you people are so finite about it make sure something changes by the end of the story shaking my <laughs> finger at you and it's like okay well you know it, maybe they could just not change it. it can be a little intimidating having all these rules and that's just what I'm trying to say is you don't need to be keeping that at the forefront of your mind while you're trying to tell your story yeah I get it because your story as told naturally if it's a if it's a decent story, just of necessity, things are going to change. So what you're saying is, you know, don't have that weighing over you while you're writing and that pressure. Let your story be told. And chances are when you're done, you'll look at it and you'll realize things have changed. If enough hasn't changed and it's just a, a blah story, <laughs> kind of one note all the way through, then you should probably rework it. But yeah. <laughs> naturally... I think that this will just happen. So yeah, I, I can support you in that. Don't let this really um, slow down your writing and put pressure on you for, oh, oh, I need to make sure something changes. So I'm going to make sure that this thing over here, and then it detracts from what you're actually doing in the story you're actually telling. Yep. Yep. Uh, number 10. And this one I just thought was completely ridiculous. But anyway, find out what time of day your imagine re imagination reaches its peak and make sure to always write during that time. And the first thing I thought was, um, I have a job. <laughs> what if my imagination, I actually, my imagination is very vivid in the middle of the workday. I'm always thinking up scenes and it's like, look, I'd, I can't be like, hey, uh, boss. My imagination is at its peak right now. Can I go home and write some things for an hour? That's not, <laughs> it's not realistic. Now, if you are independently wealthy and have no job and have no children and don't need to feed yourself, sure, stay at home, find out when your imagination reaches its peak. And you know what? That would be all the time for me. I would just be sitting down writing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if If it's, you know, four in the morning or... 2 a.m. Sure, wake up in the middle of the night and write. But if you have to wake up at 5 for work, that might not work either. So this kind of goes back to our just get it on the page and our tips for writer's block or plot count, as I was mistakenly saying <laughs> <laughs> in that episode. Sometimes you, you can't sit down and write everything you want to at that time of day maybe you're at work or well that's the only excuse or you have kids and they they will not let you write at that moment or you need to clean something get ready for a party 
sew a dress, whatever it is. <laughs> sometimes you sometimes you can't do it at that moment. So yeah, don't feel like you're don't feel like you're missing out on the the gold of writing if you're not able to write at that exact perfect time for you. You know, I know that for me, my best writing is probably first thing in the morning. But when I wake up in the morning, usually my children have needs. I need to feed them and I need to clothe them. And, you know, there are things that need to be done. Now, sometimes I I might have a bit of a break um, where I can write fairly early in the morning. And that's always nice. But um, still just just write, even if you can't now, like Andrea said, if you're at your leisure to write at any time or if it happens that your imagination is at its peak at a convenient time, then do assign that to writing, but also just write because your imagination as a writer is, should be pretty lively most of the time anyway. And, you know, you can carry your notebook with you and when you are able, scribble things down if you're not in the middle of really busy uh, shift at work. Well, see what I do is I'm able to listen to music while I'm at work. And like we said, before music is very pivotal for my writing experience and I think up scenes while I'm working and while I'm listening to this music and then I go home and write it but it's kind of like a rehearsal because sometimes like two or three days in a row I'll listen to the same song and I'll think up the same scene just try to I polish it in my head and then I'll go and sit down and write it so even if you can't, if even if you can't sit down and write it, then, like I said, I think I, I'm very imaginative in the middle of the workday. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can scribble it down, if not, just kind of keep it in your head if you have that kind of superpower. Yeah, yeah, write it in your head, and maybe if you go over it enough repeatedly, you might uh, be able to retain that to write it down later. Yeah, like I I mentioned before. I'll have just this intense stare at whatever I'm doing and probably serious uh, resting, not happy person face. And (laughs) people looking at me, they'd be like, wow, what is wrong with her? What? I'm not going to talk to her because she would probably mess me up right now. But really, I'm just sitting there with you hear like, if you could hear the music I'm listening to, it's probably like some kind of emotional thing. And I'm sitting there thinking intently on on this this dramatic scene as I'm, you know, putting these parts together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that, you know, uh, all writers can relate to those instances of realizing suddenly that you've just been staring intensely, like at the wall or a pillow or something and Mm -hmm. and then you come out of that and it's like oh right there's a world here because you were so caught up into the plotting or the inspiration that struck you right um so moving on to the best part of the night the debate round (laughs) (laughs) where we get to argue with each other yay Yay! (laughs) so uh i wrote you the topic is using names in dialogue and i wrote i'm just gonna read it straight out using names in dialogue is disgusting and should be outlawed (laughs) (laughs) i i i i I, I can't stand it but and then on the other hand you have april who is wrong (laughs) 
Right. So she, she wrote that. And then I, I just pick up right where she left off. I'm like, but it has its place. For instance, when characters are upset or calling for someone or for emphasis, just don't overdo it. So, well, and then I guess you go back, you added to that. Yeah, we we don't need to read it all, but yeah. (laughs) We have this back and forth that we were like uh, warring for the space on the the screen. I said, uh, don't put names in dialogue ever. Trump doesn't put names in dialogue. You shouldn't put names in dialogue. <laughs> in fact, I think Trump does does do that, but I, that's not the point. Yeah, the the point was just you, just you're crazy. Yeah, so you go ahead and give your point of view, even though you kind of summarized mm-hmm. it. Okay, go ahead, convince me. <laughs> okay, Andrea, I'll convince you. So we have our instances where it might be natural if you're going to use a person's name, if you would use their name in real life, then it might make sense for your character in the scene to use somebody's name, which particularly when people are upset, they tend to call each other by their names like, no, Andrea, listen to me. Or when you're trying to get somebody's attention you use their name because that usually will get their attention, whether it's to make a point or you're calling for them from across the room. Now it can definitely get annoying and you don't want to overdo it and you can err on the side of (laughs) (laughs) only, only a little bit. You can err on the side of um, being too realistic sometimes. Like, you know, maybe I use somebody's name a lot in a sentence in real life I don't want to do that in a book because it can make your writing look kind of sloppy and choppy. But I certainly think that names and dialogue sometimes are appropriate. You're wrong. <laughs> Hesha. <No. laughs> wrong, wrong. Uh, <laughs> actually, you kind of make a good point. But, but, but. I consider when a character is getting somebody's attention, like, Commander you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't count that as names in dialogue. That's, that's just, I, I don't consider that part of this. Cause oh, I see. I, so it's an exception. Yeah. Like if somebody <laughs> walks in and says, Commander April, we need you on the bridge, blah, 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 blah. Or April, can you come sign this? Or, I don't know. That, I, that's not dialogue. I don't know. I don't, I don't consider it like that's something else. I'm thinking of, no, April, you're wrong. You're wrong because you, you you always go out for tea instead of coffee, April, and April's stupid. So I, I hate it when, especially, you say, oh, for emphasis when you're mad, that's when I really hate it when people say it. It just drives me crazy because when I'm reading a book and you have somebody say, no, April, you're wrong. Oh, it just, I don't know what it is. It just drives me crazy. <laughs> and for me when I'm writing I will go back and read my stuff and I say the person I have the person say the person's name 18 times and I'm like no 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 and I get rid of like 95% of the names mm-hmm. it's just it, it's not realistic I I think the only time I use names in real life is when I'm getting their attention mm-hmm 
or you know, rarely sometimes like just being silly like hey jeffrey want to go get some coffee if they're like you know three three other people in the room and i'm being rude and don't want to invite them Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's, I just don't <laughs> like it I just don't like it I, I, just I understand <laughs> an, an, an alternative to, to bear in mind when you're having conversations particularly between people who are familiar with each other maybe they're related is that sometimes people use nicknames they don't always call people by their given name so you know this is kind of a side topic but just, just throwing it out there um, that Andrea and I, for example, call each other buddy a lot. So every time yeah. I want to talk to her, I don't always say, hi, Andrea. I say, yeah. hey, buddy. If you start doing that, I'll just stop talking to you. Yeah, no, I'll just do it now. Hey, just, Andrea. Do it, just to oh, annoy you. Oh, oh, Andrea. No, April, April, don't do that, April. We won't be friends anymore, April. <laughs> stop Ew. it or you'll convince me. Well, April, I don't know if you really understand... See, my feelings on this April are that we don't really say people's names often. Do you understand that, April? <laughs> Andrea, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, I'm ew. saying that it has its place. <laughs> it has its place. Just <laughs> names and dialogue should be recherche. Oh, recherche. I Okay. Okay, fine. Shake on it. Very well. Shake. Shake. Okay. I, I can make I shook the air. Very, 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 very recherche use of names. Okay. That works. That works for me. Because I don't want I don't want to overuse names. I don't like that. Yeah. Well, even like I wrote a scene for a book that I'm probably gonna write in eighteen years. And <laughs> even the scene that I wrote last night, I went back and reread it. And was like, oh, ew, I use their names. I need to get rid of that. Yuck, 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 yuck. (laughs) But I read your scene and there were some instances of names being used that I Mm. thought perfectly fitting. Well, they're going to be gone now. If I said that, I would have been wrong. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) maybe we should move on to happy haiku time. Happy haiku time. (laughs) okay so as you know or hopefully you know uh march is the month of hot drink haikus or haiku i always say haikus and my i'm gonna start with mine if you don't mind oh i mind no go ahead (laughs) well yours is better yours is better because you actually took time to write it i wrote mine like five minutes before we started this show with counting on my fingers to make sure i got the syllables it's okay go ahead (laughs) okay the winter's cold wind can't reach me in my haven where tea keeps me warm you know yours is cozy like the funny thing is i picture a person in a cave but they have a little (laughs) kettle and they have a fire in there and they can make tea and there's like a a blizzard (laughs) outside the wind is rushing (laughs) yes i definitely think of uncle iroh from avatar So it's cozy. Well done for a quickly thrown together haiku. I mean, I don't think I spent that much time on mine either. I just wrote it earlier. Okay, Okay, so here's mine. Above mountain mists, the last stars begin to fade. Time for morning tea. 
Wonderful. Now we'll just have to have people vote on what one they like the most. And then we'll see which one really was terrible. <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> <laughs> Probably both. Okay, well, if you do want to give us your, a piece of your mind, you can email us at andreaandapril at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at aasmug with a double G or on Facebook, same thing, aasmug with a double G. That's right. And while you're at it, you can tell us which writing rules you think were made to be broken. Do you like to use names and dialogue or is that a sin? Feel free yeah, to chime in. Shake your fist at us for breaking all these rules or thank us for freeing you from the slavery of terrible writing rules. <laughs> That's right. Hi, I'm Kimberly. Hi, I'm Janice. Don't they know you're supposed to have a last name?